Okay. Ready for the end of another week, right? Yes. Yay, okay. See, don't say ready for another astronomy class since boo, I know. I know how it works, okay. Quiz today. Yay. No? Okay, I can't get a yay out of that one either, can I? I tried. Homework due today. Okay. And again with the homework, make sure you may, if you don't have it today, some couple have already emailed it to me. I know I got yours. I know a couple people have dropped it off already. Just make sure I, you can email it to me before the end of the day is fine. And so we have those and we have another iTunes quiz coming up here on, starting on Monday. All the pictures are done. We've done the pictures. The quiz is actually up there. It's just not available till Monday right now. That way you can concentrate on everything else first. But it'll be there all week. But there's no new pictures to be added to it. Doesn't matter when you take it. It ended on pictures from Monday. So anything after that you don't have to worry about. And anything from the previous quiz you don't have to worry about either. So I'm not repeating anything. Homework 5, that doesn't affect you yet. Probably will on Monday. And the second article review does October 28th. So. We're getting, can tell we're getting past the halfway point is there's supposed to be eight of these and we're starting to get towards quiz numbers four and homework five are starting to show up here. So semester is going, is progressing quickly and we're, we're close to on schedule. We're still slightly behind but not, not too bad considering that we lost a whole day. Okay, picture of the day for the day. Unless there's questions on the assignments. No? Okay. Perfect, perfect for what we're talking about in class. So. Didn't work for my planetary class that we just had where they were finishing up the sun, but it works, works for here. So nebulae, this is, what we're just, this is what this whole chapter is about. We're talking about the different nebulae in space. You have this nice bright red nebula here, the California nebula. Does it look like the state of California? A little bit, you got to turn your head a little bit. I did see, see that and you sort of maybe see it a little bit. Astronomers have inventive imaginations. That whole nebula is caused by one star. So that red emission is hydrogen gas, but if this star weren't here, no nebula. That one star puts out enough energy to excite that entire nebula. And it puts out enough of the high energy ultraviolet light that is needed to cause it to glow in the visible. So it needs that higher energy in order to excite that hydrogen up to the higher states that we're used to seeing it from, that we see it from in the visible. So that one star there is causing that entire nebula to glow. The other nebula that we see, this one I still have trouble with, but there's a flying ghost nebula off to this side. If you can see the flying ghost, please point it out to me because I'm still missing it. But there's supposed to be a flying ghost nebula off on the right hand side and I'm not sure where they exactly, I'm not sure where they exactly mean. That's what I wasn't sure if it's something up in here. I think it would be that black object. Or maybe it's the black. I, I'm not sure if it's the dark nebula. I just didn't see anything that's ghostly. I'm going to save that one for, we'll probably have a, one for Halloween day. Maybe they'll do something ghostly. I don't know. But what you're seeing over here, you do see some of the reflection nebula. There's the blue around these stars that is reflected, the dust that's reflecting the light. So stuff we just talked about last time and you do see some of the dark nebulae. Some of the very dark dusty areas that are forming where stars are currently forming. So you can see all the nebulae in one picture while we're talking about that. So it actually worked out very, very well. I didn't tell them what we were talking about in class today. So 
They just happened to pick one. Of course, as I said, my planetary class talking about the sun didn't have much to relate their current lecture to. But okay, so that's our picture for the day. Question? Question? No? Okay. Then on to chapter 11 and see how much of chapter 11 we can get through today. We're supposed to finish chapter 11 this week. That's why I said we're pretty close. We may be picking a little bit over till Monday. Oops. Oh, we're starting over again, aren't we? Uh, where were we? 14? Nope, I went too far. Previous. I went to the wrong slide. There we were. That's where we were. Emission nebulae. So we were just looking at an emission nebula. The California nebula, nebula is an example of an emission nebula. So the one that we just looked at there, that bright red glow from the star exciting it, was the same thing you're seeing here. Except here, when you look at the spectrum, you find out that it's not quite as simple as I've been telling you. I've been telling you that bright red glow is due to hydrogen. Hydrogen is most of what is there in the universe, but it's not everything. So when you actually look at the spectrum, you see a whole bunch of other things in it too. You don't only, not only do you see hydrogen, but you see helium, neon, oxygen, and probably a whole bunch of other elements as well. So. Unlike the nice ones we gave you in class where you had to look and it was only one element, made it a little easy to look at, here in space there's actually lots of things. So all the different elements are represented here. And depending on how that gas is excited, we're going to see different lines from them. So we're actually seeing hydrogen and helium. You see almost everywhere because that's most of the universe. But you also see a lot of oxygen, neon, and other elements as well. Okay. Now in the dark dust clouds, which again we looked at, I get to keep referring back to our picture of the day for today, we saw some dark dust clouds there. When we look at the images here, when we look at a dark dust cloud in the visible light, there's nothing there. It's, it's invisible, right? There's, no, there's a few stars there which might be in front of it, might be faint stars in front of it, or might be very bright stars that happen to shine through. Not if it's real dense. When you look at it in the radio, so this is a radio image of the same exact portion of the sky. Stars don't emit a lot of radio light, radio radiation. You don't see stars primarily in the radio. So all the stars disappear when we look at it in the radio. You know, you don't see all those bright stars that you see there. There's nothing here. But you do see a very bright area that it's emitting a lot of radio wavelength down here, which if you notice, this whole section here, is exactly the same as that dark nebula. So they absorb all of that visible light that might have come through that was either forming inside them or behind them. And because of their temperature, because their temperatures are only 10 degrees, 20 degrees, not Fahrenheit, not Celsius, Kelvin, so that's 10 degrees above absolute zero. You know, that's negative 400 and something degrees Fahrenheit, negative 200 and some degrees Kelvin, or Celsius. So extremely cold temperatures. But because they're that cold, their peak for their spectrum is way out in the radio wavelength. So they actually emit a lot of radio waves and can be detected. So using the radio waves is something we can actually use to look through these, clou look through these clouds and look into these clouds and see, and see things. But as you know, I said no stars. You don't see any stars in the radio. We can detect the sun in radio wavelengths just because it's so close and it does emit a little bit. The stars do emit a little bit of radio, 
but not not a lot. Most of what we see when we look at radio, we'll find out in the coming chapters, is a lot of ga special galaxies emit radio and other types of nebulae that emit a lot of radio light. So, again, the dark clouds. You don't see them directly. You know, if they were just out there in the middle of nowhere, you wouldn't know what's there. You only see them because they're blocking things out. So there's a dark dust cloud here. We see it because it's blocking the light that you would expect to see from this area behind it. So there's an example of a dark dust cloud. There's a bright blue reflection nebula. There. And again, you're seeing the blue. And I see a problem with my slide. I'm missing the other image. There's supposed to be an infrared image on it, too. We've looked at a couple like that. When you look at the infrared image, certain things change in brightness, but all of a sudden you can see this area. We've looked at a couple of those today. I'm missing a picture on there. I'm going to have to check that. So, sorry, there is no other image at the right to look at. There's only one image. But what you would see is the same thing we've seen on a couple of others. You see that this dark dust cloud that you don't see in the visible, except that it's blocking things, you can actually see in the infrared and the radio. So we need the infrared and the radio to actually be able to study these areas where stars are currently forming. And being able to have things like radio telescopes and infrared telescopes has helped our understanding of how stars form. Things that we didn't know when all we could do was look at this dark cloud with an optical telescope and no longer how long you point your big four or five meter telescope at it, you still don't see anything. It's still dark. Horsehead Nebula? Yeah? We can at least see that one? Looks like a chess piece. You know, it looks like the knight. And, but it's got a little horse, little horse head there. So it's, it's better than some of them, right? It's a little better when you look at it at a distance, maybe even. That's in the constellation of Orion. And again, it's all it is. All it is is a dark dust cloud. It just happens to have formed in this shape. And it won't stay like that forever. You know, we happen to get to see it at this at this shape, but it won't it won't stay like that forever. It'll eventually will change as stars around it form and take part take hunks out of it or star forms within it and starts to illuminate other sections. So we just happen to get to see it at this time. But that's one that is a very distinctive, has a very distinctive shape. And that's one in the constellation of Orion. And Orion is very well known for its nebulae. It's got a whole bunch of different nebulae. It's a very big star forming region. As long as we're talking about Orion, I should have mentioned at the beginning of class, because someone brought it up in my other one, the Orionid meteor shower is peaks like tonight and tomorrow night. So if you're up early or late, you can look towards the constellation of Orion, which is nicely visible like at between like 1 and 4 or 1 and 5 in the morning. So if you're up really late or really early, it's, it's worth going to see. I don't remember the exact numbers, but you probably get a, usually you get a meteor every minute to two minutes. You'd actually get to see one. So that is, and that's supposed to actually peak, I think they said tonight and tomorrow, night and or tomorrow night. But again, Orion is up. But it's normally a winter constellation, so to see it right now, you've got to be up early in the morning. So I know, I know I saw it this morning when I was coming in. You could see Orion. Okay, so off topic there, but I wanted to mention that since that reminded me, and I did mention that in the other class. So how do we see this? How do we see these dark dust clouds in the radio? 
we're, seeing, we're still seeing hydrogen. We're, there is an emission of hydrogen. Hydrogen is one proton and one electron. And what I haven't really talked about is that electrons and protons have spins associated with them. So they can spin in the same direction or they can spin in opposite directions. They like to spin in opposite directions. That's the lowest energy state you can possibly put a hydrogen atom in. Not only is the electron as close to the atom as it can get in its lowest state, but they're also, when they're spinning oppositely, that's less energy. That takes less energy when they try to, than when they try to spin in the same direction. So that's a little bit more energy. If you do a transition between this energy state and this energy state, it's just like trans going through the energy levels. It changes from a higher energy state to a lower energy state. You've given off a photon, but it's not visible light. The photon is actually has a wavelength of 21 centimeters. So it's a pretty long wavelength. 21 centimeters is what? 21 centimeters. About like that. That's about the wavelength of the light. So it's a real long wavelength light. It's, radi it's a radio frequency that you, that you can observe. And it just is, all it is is the flipping of these spins. It doesn't take very much energy to go between this. That's a very long wavelength photon. It doesn't have a lot of energy. So it doesn't take a lot of energy to excite the hydrogen atoms to change. So if all the, a lot of the hydrogen atoms are here, they bump into each other in this cloud, some of them gain a little bit of energy and flip their spins. They're immediately going to flip back and give off this radio energy and we can trace them. And we can trace all the hydrogen in the universe because of this, of this um, emission. And we don't have to excite them so much. I showed you in the picture of the day, right? We had that nice bright California nebula glowing in the red that was showing the, that was one star. It took one star and it took all this energy to heat, it, to heat it up to cause it to glow. So we could see the hydrogen there, but I told you if that star disappeared, we wouldn't see it anymore. We wouldn't see that nebula. Here, even in, the, even in that case, we would still see this flip, this spin. And this, this energy, we still see this 21 centimeter line of hydrogen because it doesn't take very much energy to excite the hydrogen to this. So we can trace the hydrogen in the universe this way. We also see, we also see other molecules. So H2CO near a nebula. It peaks way over here. We also look at carbon dioxide. We look at water. But when you look at these two, you notice that the peak, where most of the material is, okay, we're tra tracking this molecule. So where most of these molecules are isn't where we see the most light. Most of our visible light is coming from the star that's exciting this nebula right here. That's the visible light. So it peaks over here. In the radio, when we look at this molecule, and we also look at carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, water, and many others, they're not. They, they're much stronger over here. So that tells us that there's a lot more of this molecule over here than there is here. So that there's probably a lot more material in general off here. All we're seeing is where that bright star happened to form. So when we look at the sky in visible light, we're biased in what we see. We see where the bright stars happen to form. 
we don't necessarily see where all the material is. All this dark material that we see, we don't see visibly hiding off over here. You know, there can be ten times as much material here as there is in the rest of this nebula. This is just what has happened to condense into stars that we're used to seeing visibly. But that's a bias of ours. We don't see, we can't, if our eyes were sensitive to radio light, you know, this would be very, this would be much darker and it would be brighter right over here. So, and again, we look at a lot of different molecules. There are all sorts of complex molecules that we can find out in space. You know, carbon dioxide, water, H2CO, carbon monoxide. You know, there's a whole bunch of them that we can follow and have different transitions like that hydrogen one that are visible in the radio portion of the spectrum. It gives us a good way to track out what, where the actual matter is in the, in the universe because we can't always say, we can't always see it visibly. Some of it is dark to us. Here's carbon monoxide. So when you look through the Milky Way here, you see areas Again, if we were to look at a visible light picture of this, this is radio, looking at carbon monoxide emission. We see the bright area, we're seeing the dark clouds. We're seeing the dark clouds of gas. But they're bright now, we can actually see them and see a little more what's going on in them. And try to study them a little bit better. If you looked at this invisible, these bright areas that are showing a lot of carbon monoxide emission or hydrogen or any of the others we talked about, would be very dark areas. These would be the areas where you're not seeing anything. So it's sort of like you're looking almost at a mirror image or a reversed image of them too. But again, we're looking at star formation and we're going to see where stars are forming. Okay, so what happens? How does a star form here? So we've gone through a little bit, talked about the nebulae and what the matter is in space. Now I want to look at exactly what happens to form a star. So we had those dark dust clouds. They're sitting there nice and happy. For some reason, they start to contract. We'll look at that, but we don't... Why they want to collapse? They don't want to collapse on their own. You know, they're quite happy the way they are. But for some reason, they start to contract. Something starts them, and once they start to contract, once you start to condense a cloud, then it loves it. Then the gravity kicks in and takes over and starts to pull it down, starts to pull it together and that the material will all collapse towards the, start to collapse towards the center, gets hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter, hits 10 million degrees. Remember 10 million degrees you need to start burning hydrogen into helium. So at that point the hydrogen starts smashing together in the core and forming helium. It's producing energy and it's actually become a star. So once it actually gets that hot, once it gets that hot because of its own contraction, it's contracted down, it begins nuclear fusion and becomes a star that we see. But the question is, one of the things is, why does it start to collapse? Sometimes it needs something else. Sometimes it needs a, two clouds. You might have two dust clouds together and they smash into each other. Well, they kind of crash. That condenses them a little bit and it starts the little pockets of them contracting. That might form a star. You could have a supernova explosion. A star could explode. One of those big massive stars we looked at it might explode and actually form and forms a shock wave that actually compresses some of the material further into a cloud and causes more and causes more contraction of the cloud. Something has to happen to start it collapsing and we'll look at that a little bit as we go on here. But once you get to the point where you've reached 10 million degrees in the core, it's now hot enough that hydrogen fuses to helium and 
it has, it has become a star. Okay. So, most of the time when we look at the gas in space, usually it's moving around way too fast. So, each particle in this room, particles in this room are buzzing back and forth between us and causing the air pressure that we see. But the particles in space are doing the same thing. So they may, in one case, these five particles may all be moving in the same direction and starting to come close to each other. But when you're only talking about a few particles, the gravitational force isn't strong enough to hold them together because even though they're all this close together, they're still moving. So this one that was moving this way is still moving that way and you know, a little bit of time later, they're just spreading apart from each other. We need, you need enough particles, you need to get enough particles there close enough that gravity can start to kick in and be strong and actually pull the part, start pulling particles together. So you need something in order to get this started. But when you're just looking at these, you're not going to see any kind of, you're not going to start to form a star normally because every particle is just moving around on its own and not going to just, they're not just going to happen to condense together. You need something to start it to convince them to start collapsing and forming that star. All right. So here's our stages. Stage one through seven. There's a whole other set of stages for the next chapter. Starts with stage seven. Stage seven is the one we don't talk about at all. It's the boring stage. That's the main sequence star. So this is a table from, from the textbook. But what happens is we, first of all, we have, we've looked at some of these. We've looked at some interstellar clouds. That would be the first stage. So there's a cloud of interstellar material out there. We've looked at some of those dark clouds in some of the pictures. It's very cold there. 10 degrees maybe. So very cold. Again, 10 kelvins. 10 degrees above absolute zero. Four, negative 400 and some degrees Fahrenheit. Density is relatively low, about a billion particles per cubic meter. That still sounds like a lot, but that's you know, nothing compared to what you have here on Earth. That's incredibly low density. And it's very big. When they start to collapse, something has started them collapsing, you start to become to form a cloud fragment. And as you notice, the central temperatures start to rise, still not near hot enough to actually ignite nuclear fusion, 100 degrees, maybe 10,000 degrees. The densities are increasing, so you're starting to get getting more particles condensed to the center. Gravity is kicking in and starting to grab them together, hold them together. So you've got the density is increasing, the temperature is increasing, and the diameter is then decreasing. It's collapsing. It's getting small. Everything is condensing smaller and smaller. So it's a smaller size more dense and a higher temperature. That's still part of the cloud. That's just a collapse, just the cl cloud collapsing. The next stage is the protostar stage. Protostar is not a star. Protostar is getting close. You can actually see protostars in visible and in infrared light. They're actually things you can actually see. You know, these you only see in radio or maybe the infrared and you see their darkness, you see them blocking out other materials. When you get to a protostar, you can actually see it. And it will look a little bit like a star, but it's not a star yet. Temperatures are maybe a million degrees, five million degrees in the core. 
still not hot enough for it to be able to produce its own energy. Needs to get a little bit hotter for that. But you see what else has changed. Your surface temperature is actually becoming something more reasonable. Three and four thousand kelvins. So not up to the temperature of the sun quite yet, but we're getting there. There are stars that have these temperatures. Some of the cooler stars actually have these temperatures. The density has gone up from 10 to the 9th. Now we're talking 10 to the 24th and 10 to the 28th. So we're getting very dense down there at the center. Trying to get lots of particles. Not quite dense enough and not quite hot enough yet to fuse them. But you're getting closer. And your diameter has gotten much smaller. So you're getting down now. At the end of this stage, you're maybe about 10 times bigger than the sun. Still pretty big. So this would be a very big red star. Our HR diagram would look like a red giant, right? Because it would be a very big star. It would be 10 times bigger than the sun. And it would be very cool. It would be 4,000 degrees cooler than the sun. So it would be like a red giant. And actually, if we look at the HR diagram, and you could plot a protostar on there, it would fall in that portion of the spec. It would fall in that portion of the HR diagram. It would fall in towards the red giant range. The difference is that you don't normally see them. They're still buried in this cloud of gas and dust. So we can't really see them yet. We can see them in infrared. We can see them in, you know, you can see them through infrared observations, but you can't just you're not stars that you just don't happen to look out there and just see a protostar. The stars that we see have all gone well beyond this stage. Finally, to become a star, it has to reach that critical temperature, 10 million degrees. Once it hits 10 million degrees, surface temperature is still a little low for what we're used to for our sun. This is for a star like the sun, about, about 4,500 degrees. Density is really high in the core, many, many times what it was when it first started. The diameter is almost the size of the sun, a little bit bigger. Star isn't done forming yet. It's become a star, but it hasn't quite reached the main sequence yet. So it hasn't quite gotten to the main sequence. So it's sort of moving through our HR diagram. We have our main sequence. And you have its star starts over here. And it's getting hotter. The temperature is increasing. And it's getting, and it moves down towards the main sequence. So it hasn't quite gotten there. It might actually start energy production. before it hits the main sequence. So it actually starts producing energy there. It becomes officially a star once it can start producing hydrogen to helium, once it hits 10 million degrees in the core. It is now a star. But it's not done collapsing. It's got to get a little bit smaller. So it's coming down a little bit from this red giant range. It was 10 times the size of the sun. It's getting down to the size of the sun. Its temperature has been heating up. It's gone from well, 10 degrees back here when we started to 15 million degrees for the sun, so the sun's actually a little bit bigger, a little bit hotter than the minimum needed to be a star. But now at the end, when it becomes a main, when it finally gets to the main sequence and becomes stable, it is 6,000 degrees on the surface. So its diameters come way down from a gigantic interstellar cloud. Its density's gone way up, temperature's gone way up, central temperature up even more. Originally it was 10 degrees all the way through. Now it's 6,000 on the surface and 1,500, 15 million. So now we have a star. But those are the stages. Now I don't expect you to memorize stage one through seven. I'm not going to ask you what happened in stage two of something. I hope that you'll know the names, like 
the clouds, the fragments, proto, I mean I, that I like you to know. But I'm not, and I'm not going to give you specific numbers. What was the temperature in stage three of a star like the sun? I'm not going to ask you that. I expect you to know the temperatures increased the whole way. Surface, I mean, give me some ideas. That 10 million is nice to know, just because that's the key when it actually becomes a star. The densities increased. You, increased. I'm never going to ask you one of those numbers. The diameters, again, they decreased. But I'm not going to. I'm not testing you on the numbers. I don't want you to memorize the numbers. I'm not going to ask you. Stage five was, you know, density was so much. No. But I want you to know how things changed. So what are the different stages by name here? How did the diameter change? How did the density change? How did the temperature change? And I'm looking at that. The other thing that I didn't mention as we went through this was this time frame to go through the stages. 10 billion years here is the main sequence stage. So once you become a main sequence star like the sun, you've got 10 billion years. So I said this is the boring stage. Not much happens there. All these other stages, if you look how small they are, this is about 2 million years, 30,000 years, about 100,000, a million, 10 million, 30 million. They're all very small. I mean, you can add all those up. You know, 30 million, you've got 30, what, 31 million years plus some other little stuff. So say 32 million years. 32 million years versus 10 billion is nothing. So you don't see a lot of stars. You only happen to see very few stars in the process of formation as compared to what you see on the main sequence. Because that takes only a very small fraction of the time that it takes once it becomes a star. So star formation actually occurs very quickly. Yes, it takes many millions of years, so we're not going to sit there and watch it. We can't go sit there and watch those stars in Orion collapse. But it occurs on an astronomical time scale. It's very quick. So when we go looking for these, you don't see near as many protostars as you would see main sequence stars, just because the main sequence stars last a lot longer. So now we'll go through it in more detail. That was the, that was the quick summary. Okay. Interstellar cloud. So what happened? This is where I said we've got to have something happen. This is stage one. Something had to happen to this cloud. It was quite happy the way it was, just sitting there. You know, it doesn't, it's not normally going to collapse. Particles are moving, whizzing this way and that way. It's not just going to collapse. But some kind of things happen. Sometimes it's a exploding star might push into one area of it and start it collapsing. Sometimes two clouds might collide into each other. And then they start to fragment. So this was the original cloud and then it started to fragment. It started to become a few big groups, smaller groups, and you're starting to see the cores that are going to become stars. So in stage one, this is what you have happening in stage one. You have this big interstellar cloud. Something happens to it. Something happens to start it collapsing. Once it starts collapsing, then gravity kicks in. Once you start forming these little pockets of denser material, they start to grow. They'll gather more material just because the gravity starts to get stronger and stronger. And then it continues to fragment. So it continues to form more and more pieces. Stage two, the cloud fragments begin to collapse. Once they start to get high enough, once they get enough density to them, they get enough material, they don't break apart anymore. It's when there's still those very little, low density clouds that they start to break apart as little cores form with inside them. Once you get down to about a star's worth of material, which might be a solar mass or might be 10 or 20 depending on the star that happens to be forming, 
then they don't break apart anymore. So the sun wouldn't split apart, it wouldn't start to form and get real close and then just decide to split into two stars. That wouldn't happen. But you might form multiple star systems. And in as we get towards stage three, it's starting to heat up. Now we're up to 10,000 degrees. So we're hotter than the center of it is hotter than the surface of the sun. That's still cold. Astronomically, that is a very, very low temperature. 10,000 degrees is not very much. It's a good temperature for the surface of a star. That would be a nice, bright, relatively hot star, hotter than the sun. But when you're talking about the interior in terms of being able to smash those hydrogen atoms together, that's not near enough. You need 100 times, 100,000 times that temperature. You need that 10 million degrees in order to actually begin to form, to smash hydrogen into helium and then are able to actually produce your own source of energy. Okay, so that's stages two and three. So here's some examples looking at Orion. And when you look at it here, visibly, got a lot, these are changing, they're changing pictures a little bit here, but this is the constellation of Orion, Betelgeuse, Rigel, so if you're familiar with that, the belt, the sword of Orion. So that's Orion. Then if we zoom in on this, but not only are we zooming in, we're also changing wavelength we're looking at. So not only, this was a visible light picture, this is what you'd see if you look out in the sky. Well, might not see quite so many stars around here as you get to see in that one, but the general pattern you'd see. We zoom in on this part on the sword, this is the Great Orion Nebula. And as you see that here, this is in the infrared, so you're actually looking deeper into the cluster. You're actually seeing through some of that gas and dust that you couldn't see through otherwise. And if you zoom into the core of it, back to visible light, so it kind of switches you around there. This is invisible light. And you look at a couple little areas. So this is the, gen this is the Orion Nebula. We're looking, zooming in towards where the stars are currently forming. And if you look at those, like here's an example in the radio where you're really seeing right into the cloud and you can actually see, now those aren't stars, those are the big dust, those are the dust clouds in the process of formation. So you're actually seeing the dust clouds condensing. Now you're not going to be able to sit there and watch them, we can't come back tomorrow and see them a little bit more condensed, wouldn't that be wonderful? You could actually follow it. We can only look around and study because, you know, it'll take these things tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, to millions of years to actually get to the stage where they become stars. But you're seeing some examples there, so you're getting to some clouds in the process of condensing. Here in the visible and towards the infrared, you're actually getting some, some idea of protostars. You're actually getting some that are not quite stars yet, but they're getting to that stage. They're getting very close. So Orion, again, is one we come back to all the time because it is a major it is a major region of star formation. And it's not just this little bit here on the belt. The Horsehead Nebula is up toward, or towards the sword. The Horsehead Nebula is up towards the belt. This whole region, there's actually a great, re great molecular cloud there. There's a lot of clouds of molecules, a lot of areas where stars are currently forming. So Orion is a big one for star formation. Okay. Stage four. The core of the cloud, now we've made a protostar. If we finally can use the HR diagram to see it. Because before we were looking, we were looking at temperatures that were way off over here, 10 degrees, 100 degrees, way off the HR diagram. And luminosities that would have been way too, you know, nothing you would have been able to see. So they'd have been way off there. 
Now we get here, we actually appear on the HR diagram. We've actually formed a protostar. It's very large, 100 times the size of the sun. Its luminosity is actually very bright because it's so big, but its luminosity isn't necessarily bright in the visible. Because it's still cold, it's still giving a lot of infrared light. So they're not necessarily big bright stars. And they're also, as we saw in Orion, they're buried in that cloud of gas and dust. So they're still shrouded by this dust that formed them. They're still in their cocoon, if you want to think about it that way. So they're still buried within that, and that causes them to not be seen very well. So we don't really see many protostars on the HR diagram. Theoretically, we can put them there. We can tell you how bright and how luminous they should be, but we don't actually normally see them there just because they're buried down in, down in their cloud of dust from which they formed. Now, at the same time, here's trying to put it to scale, looking at the cloud. So this is the dark, there's part of that dark dust cloud that's starting to collapse after millions, so that takes millions of years, then we can get, start to get smaller and smaller. Planetary systems would be starting to form. This is where we think planetary systems would start to form. So the star doesn't form itself and then the planets form around it. It sort of all forms in one unit together. So as you're going through into the protostar stage here, so it's not a star yet, just a protostar, but you're starting to form that planetary system. You're starting to get a disk of material that condenses around the star that's orbiting around it, and slowly those particles will condense. They'll hit each other. Some of them will stick together. Some of them will break apart. But over time, we feel that they would collect and start to form the planets. And then the planets, as they start to form, would start to attract more material. They'd run into more material, gather more material, and slowly clean out this nebula. So you'd have a real dusty disk around the star. And the planets would collect a lot of that material. And when the star actually ignites, when it actually starts producing its own energy, it would clean out some of that material. It'd have a solar wind comes out and pushes material out. So the solar wind or stellar wind pushes material out from that inner solar system. But again, we talk about equilibrium. The star isn't balanced yet. Even through all these stages, a protostar is not, it's not in balance. It's still gaining energy because it's collapsing. It's not collapsing quickly. It's still slowly collapsing. And as you bring material towards the core, that releases energy. That is all this energy that we're seeing so far. Until it reaches 10 million degrees, it is not enough for it to actually ignite actually to show the, to actually produce energy itself. Now let me see what's, yeah, we'll do this one and we'll finish up here and then we can do the quiz. So the last stage is once we get on the HR diagram it's nice because we can sort of use that to follow. So we can see what happens to it. It starts, its temperature is still rising on the surface here. So as we go through stages four, five, six, this is the protostar phase. At 6 is where it becomes a star. But as you see, it's not on the HR, it's not on the main sequence yet, not quite. So there's the, there's the protostar. It's been getting, it's slowly getting fainter, slowly getting a little bit hotter. And then it makes a little bit of a jump here as ignition starts. So it started producing its own energy. It jumps up in brightness. And then finally, sort of makes this little hook back onto the main sequence. So its temperature is rising as it condenses. It's been condensing smaller and smaller. That causes the temperature to rise. And it moves down the HR diagram and becomes less bright 
primarily not because it's the energy production has changed, but because it is becoming smaller. So there's less surface area to be putting out the energy. And that's where it will increase. So it will increase. And then the temperature it makes this little kind of interesting little zigzag as it gets there. This is where this one happens because the light, it's actually, do this right. This is because it's actually producing energy. So it starts to get itself a little bit brighter when the energy production starts. And then as it finally settles into equilibrium, it kind of balances here. And this is where it's actually balanced. So even when it becomes a star for the first time, when it actually becomes a star, it actually starts producing its own energy. It's still not in equilibrium. It's still collapsing for a little bit longer. So it still takes a little bit of time to actually reach that equilibrium where the sun is right now. Okay. So I think that is where, yeah, then we'll go. I'll go over those next time. I don't want to take and go through those right now. Because I want to give you time for your time for your quiz. So we'll do the quiz. And then you have, then we have a lab. Yay. I know. Okay. Questions before? You know your HR diagram for the quiz, right? I told you that's what it's going to be, so. Okay. All right. Review it real quick while I'm getting ready if you want. Okay. Turn that off. All right. Oops.